We good over there? Okay. All right, guys, we have your Bibles. Open up to the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29 here this evening. So, um, anybody like the big city? Chicago. I'm not a big fan myself uh, going in there anyways, but one thing that has always intrigued me are the skyscrapers. You know, it just really is amazing when you look at those buildings, how vast and how tall those things are. For instance, the, the Sears Tower, or whatever they call it these days, is 1,450 feet tall. That's tall. Dude, who's, who's been there and, seen, and been on top of that? I, I have too. It's crazy. And what's interesting about that building is they say um, in Chicago, where it's the Windy City, right? It says that the top of that building sways back and forth, feet in all direction, right? And, and it's like, I look at that and go, how does that stand the test of time? How do those things not just topple over in the wind and the rain and in the storms? And the answer is because of the foundation in which it's built on. It's built on a massive concrete foundation that is dug 100 feet into the ground, and that foundation is anchored to cement pylons that go another 100 feet into the ground into solid bedrock. And the reason it can stand, the reason it doesn't topple over, is because the foundation that it's connected to is greater than the wind that is blowing on top, and so it stands firm. And you know, what's true of a skyscraper in many ways is true of our lives as Christians. We face storms, we face difficulties in life, we're blown around, we're shaken. But if we have our foundation secured to something that is stronger than the storm, we as Christians can withstand the storm as God's people. You know, over the last four or five months now, believe it or not, we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount, and, and today is the last, uh, last section, if you will, of this sermon that we've been going through. And, you know, as we have been in this sermon series for so long, it can kind of be difficult, if you will, to remember kind of what the main focus is, because although we've turned this into like 17 messages, Jesus spoke it in one, right? And something that I've learned over the course of my time preaching is that the best message is a one-point message. You have a lot of things in a message, but they all point to one basic truth, one basic thing, and in Jesus, who is the greatest preacher of all time, that's exactly what he has done in the Sermon on the Mount. All of these teachings we've looked at over the last four or five months point to one basic truth, one basic thing, which is what it means and what it's going to take to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, these are the things that we need to have present in our life, the knowledge in our life, the attitudes in our life, so that we can be the person that God has called and designed us to be. And so the Sermon on the Mount really, in, in its most basic form, is, is a guidebook for a disciple. It's just a, a guide in, in, that, that we can look at as his people. And what some of the things we've seen in here is that, you know, choosing to follow Jesus, it's a sacrifice, you know, the, the, this guide has shown us that if we're going to follow him, it's not going to be easy. Persecution, difficulties are going to come our way. You know, to follow Jesus is, is a choice we willingly make to, to lay aside our, our sinful nature and instead to walk in holiness. Choosing to follow Jesus is a choice to set aside our wants and desires so that we can focus on his wants and desires. It's a, it's a choice to never 
turn back, to never give up, to always stay connected to him no matter what comes our way. That, that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It's kind of like that passage where Jesus spoke of his, to his followers, if you want to follow me, he says, you, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back and be my disciple. Being a disciple of Christ means we are always moving forward towards him, focused on him. And now as we come to this very last part, you know, Jesus being the amazing preacher that he is, can't end a sermon without an invitation. Uh, and, and he calls for a response from the people in this last section here, which is verses 24 um, through 27. We'll also read 28 and 29. So let's go ahead and, and read this, and we'll get into it. It says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And verse 28 says, When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Now, as we think about what we have learned over the course of these last number of months, trying to think about it from their perspective, it really had to be just an incredible message to hear. I mean, from, hearing, from who they were hearing it from would have been amazing enough. But, I mean, these teachings in so many ways would have just rocked their world because what, what Jesus spoke of here um, was so countercultural to what they understood and, and believed at the time. And it wasn't even just the content of what he said. It was, as verses 28 and 29 said, it was how he said it. And the way that he spoke, it says here that he spoke with, with real authority. See, when Jesus spoke... He wasn't like the, the teachers of religious law. He, he wasn't a man that was speaking, trying to decipher maybe what God really meant by these things. He, 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 he taught in a way that claimed that he was the authority on the word of God. And the fact of it is that he was, right? Remember John chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Who was that speaking of? Jesus, because in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so Jesus the person is, is made synonymous, parallel with the Word of God. And so he was speaking with authority because everything from Genesis to the book of Malachi that the, that the, um, the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the people of the Jews at the time would have known, who do you think was the author of all that? Jesus. And, and so he spoke with that type of authority. And so now he comes to this place after this teaching where he's calling for a response from these people and he, he illustrates what he wants from them by using this illustration of two builders who are building a home for themselves. Now if you notice something about, you can leave the verses up there on the screen if you want to, Corey. Um, if you notice something about these, this, these houses, they're, they're really the same, aren't they? Both builders choose a foundation, which is obviously different, but both builders build a home. I mean, it, it costs them. It's expensive. It takes time. It takes money. It takes effort to build these homes. So in, a, in essence, they're building the, the same thing, at least from the, looking at it from the outside, with one massive, massive difference. One of them built on rock. The other built on 
sand. What's the difference? Well, you know, building on rock takes a lot more time, a lot more effort, a lot more work. To build on solid rock requires a person to dig deep. You've you got to get past the, the topsoil and, and anchor to the foundation below it. Um, who's ever been to a beach, like down on Florida or wherever, California? You know, those big high rises right there on the beach. Have you ever looked at them and go, how do those just not wash away? You know, when the, when the sand comes and the hurricanes come and everything else. And again, it has all to do with the foundation. Most of those buildings, 8, 10, 12 stories high, their foundations go anywhere from 100 to 150 feet deep so that they can anchor themselves to bedrock. So when the winds come and the hurricanes come and blow, they hold firm again because what they're anchored to is stronger than the storm that is beating against it. You know, for a person building a condo on the beach, it might be cheaper, it might be easier to build on top of the sand just to pour some concrete slab and, and start building, but in the end, it's not cheaper, right? In the end, it'll end up costing them more because they're going to have to keep rebuilding it because it's going to keep falling down. And that's kind of the idea of this illustration that Jesus is speaking of when he's talking about our lives, when he's talking about the call to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. It's not an easy journey. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to cost us. But in the end, that effort, that price we pay will be worth it. So Jesus used this tool illustration here to represent the lives of people. Just like choosing a foundation to build on, people have to choose which foundation they are going to build their lives on. And, and Jesus likens this illustration to a person building on bedrock, to a person choosing to build their lives upon the Word of God and upon Christ, or not. Uh, the other choice would be the wisdom of this world, the philosophies of this world. Now, if you think about what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's covered pretty much everything that, that you could possibly think of or, or need for instructions on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught these people exactly what God wanted them to be. Um, he he told, them, told them exactly what God wanted from their lives, um, whether it be their spiritual lives and relationship with him or, or even in, in their earthly relationships with the people around them. He taught them how to communicate to God in prayer. He taught them that God, how God wanted them to, to treat one another, that the attitudes they're supposed to have. I mean, he even, he even taught them how they could build heavenly treasure while on earth, if they would focus on that earthly heavenly treasure. He, he taught amazing things. And the fact was, what he taught was pretty clear. I mean, it, they weren't really difficult truths to understand, but the question is, is actually living out what Jesus taught here in this sermon going to be easy? And the answer to that is no. Although what he said is quite easy to understand and grasp even today, Living it out in our lives is something that is not easy at all. You know, just like building a house on a rock, it's going to take a lot of effort from us. It's going to take us digging deep into the Word of God that we're supposed to anchor to. It's going to, it's going to take effort in our relationship with Christ to, to connect ourselves and secure ourselves to Him. You know, living as a follower of Christ is described as a narrow and difficult road for a reason. Because it's hard. And so Jesus says here that what we anchor our lives to is a choice that people have to make. 
We have to make this as individuals. It's a choice to heed the words of God, the word of God, or to ignore it. The, the, the choice to, to walk through the narrow gate of Christ or the wide one. We can choose the, to live in the light or not. We can choose to have the right attitudes or not. We can choose to walk humbly for our God or not. We can choose to build heavenly wealth or we can ignore it. We can choose to anchor our lives to Christ or we can choose to anchor our lives to this world. The point Jesus is saying in this invitation is that it's the choice of each individual person. What they do with the teachings that he has given, what, what they do is essentially with him. So what Jesus was asking these people to do, and us, frankly, today, is he was asking them, after he spoke these words, to simply trust him at his word. To trust him for who he claimed to be, and to trust that the authority that they recognized he spoke with, that he was actually the authority that, they, that he, he seemed to be to them. Now, if you think about some of the things he said, considering Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, he made this incredible claim that he came to actually fulfill the word of God. All the Old Testament, law and prophets, he said that he told these people, I am the fulfillment of all these sayings. Even we talked about um, last week in, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he, he just, I mean, think about what he claimed here. He, he said on judgment day, people are going to stand before me and say, Lord, Lord. Do you realize what he claimed there to these people? He claimed the authority of God himself. He claimed to be God. That he was the judge. He, he said, these people are going to stand before me and say, Lord, Lord. He says, I'm, I, don't, I don't know you. Away from me. This was an incredible claim that Christ made. This was a huge statement. And he was asking these people to trust him rather than trust the world. Rather than trust the teachings that they had been taught their entire lives. See, what Jesus taught was radically different than what the people had been taught by the religious leaders up to that point. They had been taught that, that righteousness and salvation came through obedience through, uh, to a set of laws, but Christ taught otherwise. He told them that, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, which, Pharisees, which were the people that, that followed it to the, to the T, right? He says, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you don't even get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ reformed everything that they had come to believe. He had broken every mold that his people were accustomed to. He taught them that God didn't just want their obedience. He wanted a personal relationship with them. And he was saying, you need to trust me. You need to trust my word. But he didn't stop there, did he? If, if you look again at what he says here, anyone who listens to my teachings, did he stop there? And what? And follows them. Meaning that, that being a disciple of Christ, Jesus says, isn't just about knowing what's right. It's not just about knowing what to do and what not to do. It's about us actually acting on what we know and following in obedience. He wasn't asking for simple belief. He was asking them to apply what he had taught them through their lives. He was asking them to alter the direction of their lives completely. He was asking them to completely realign their entire view of what they thought was reality and instead choose what he set there in front of them. He was asking them very, very plainly to give their allegiance to him as their Lord, their Savior, and their King. That was a big ask for Christ to make to these people. This was their choice to believe him, to believe his wisdom, to believe his word, or 
to ignore it and to walk away. Do you realize it's the same choice that we still have today? The invitation that Jesus gave to these people is the same invitation that we all have still today. The question that was presented to them is still presented to us. What are we going to do with what we have heard? Jesus tells us here we have one of two choices. We can choose to listen and obey, or we can choose to let it go in one ear and right out the other, right? It's a choice. We can choose to believe that Christ is who he says he is, or we can say, no, I really don't want to believe it. We can choose to anchor ourselves to him and his word, or we can choose to anchor ourselves to the world. We can choose to make Jesus Lord and King and Savior, or we can reject him. We can choose to think with, etern- with an eternal mindset, or we can choose to, to live our lives only for the here and now. Essentially, we can be the wise builder, or we can be the fool. He's made it up to us. It's the choice of every single one of us as an individual to choose to, the, the wise way of following Christ or the foolish way of the world and follow it instead. And the truth is, anchoring our lives to Christ isn't easy because it requires us to surrender all of our wants, all of our desires to be able to follow him. That's what the wisdom of Christ said. That's what the wisdom of of the word says, right? To anchor to him means we surrender all. Living sacrifices, Romans 12 says. What's the wisdom of the world say? You only live once. Live it to its fullest. Get what you want now and enjoy life, because once it's gone, it's gone. And you see, we, we live one of two directions, don't we? It's, it's one of two choices. We can either surrender all to Christ and live as a living sacrifice every day, putting aside our wants, or we can say, you know what? I live once, and I don't know when my time's up, so I'm going to live it up. It's our choice. You know, the wisdom of God's Word, the wisdom of Christ, says that to live in this life, we have to live in absolute surrender and dependence upon Him, that without His strength, without His grace, without His wisdom, we cannot walk. We cannot do anything good. We will fall on our face, and yet the wisdom of the world is the opposite, doesn't it? Oh, you're a self-made man. You're a self-made You don't need some God to tell you what to do. You can do it all on your own. You know, anchoring our lives to Christ, the wisdom of the Word of God says that our only hope of eternal life, our only hope of heaven is through the blood of Christ Jesus that was shed for us, replacing our faith and trust in that, making Him Lord and King and Savior over our lives. What's the wisdom of the world say? You don't need that. Every other religion of the world, what's it say? It says it's about good works. It's about what you do. It's about being a good person, this or that. But not Christ. The wisdom of God's word says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We can never stand before a holy God upon our own works. We, we need Jesus. The decision is ours to make. And the consequences of our decision are huge. If you think about verses 25 and 27 for a moment, it says, to, now to the wise builder... 
who anchored his home on the rock, Christ says this, though the rain comes in torrents, the floodwaters rise, the wind beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built upon bedrock. That house is anchored to something greater than the storm. But just the opposite in verse 27 with the person who built his house on the sand, it says when the wind and the floods and the rain came, it fell and it fell with what? A mighty crash. Why? Because what it was anchored to was not as strong as the wind and the rain and the floods. And so it gave way and it broke, right? And so Jesus is saying, whatever we anchor our lives to will, depend, will, will determine essentially what happens to our lives. When the wind and the storm and the rain comes, if we're anchored to the world, if we're anchored to sand, our life's going to collapse. And it's going to be a mighty crash. But if we're anchored to Christ, we're anchored to something and someone, and when we anchor to his word, we're anchored to something that is stronger than any possible storm that could come our way, even though it's going to be hard, even though it's going to be difficult, even though we may sway back and forth a little bit in our lives, we will stand firm because we're anchored to the right thing. Now the question is, is what does Christ mean by these storms? And I really believe he means two different things, very much depicting two different aspects of storm, right? One of these being very much trials, um, circumstances, difficulties that we face in life. You know, I, I, I've often said that if, if you haven't experienced trials, hold on because they're coming. Yeah, I, I, don't, I wish I could say otherwise, but it's just the reality of our lives. Trials, difficulties, circumstances, they're going to come. Our world is going to be rocked at some point in our lives. You know, I, I don't like it, but the fact is we live in a fallen world. You don't have to look very far to realize that we live in a world that is very much affected by sin and Satan, who has such an influence on it. I mean, as we look around, what do we see? We see brokenness everywhere. We see broken people, broken marriages, broken families, broken communities, broken nations. We see people in pain. Some due to injury, some due to sickness, some due to disease, some due to difficult circumstances in their life. Many people in pain, losing somebody close to them that they have loved. Everywhere you look, people are dealing with fear, with anxiety of, of what tomorrow may bring. Fear and anxiety over the thought of losing everything they have. Fear and anxiety over the thought of death and what comes next. Is that not the reality of our world right now? We live in a broken world. Every single one of us is affected by it. Every one of us at some point is going to deal with these storms that are coming. And if they're not here, make no mistake, they're going to come. The big question is, what are we going to lean on when they come? What are we going to be anchored to when the wind and the rains and the floods come our way? Will we anchor our lives to someone who is stronger so that we can stand? Or will we anchor ourselves to something that is not strong enough? And make no mistake, the storm, the storm Christ said is coming to both places. Notice the, the person who was anchored to the rock and the person who was anchored to the sand, they both had a storm that came their way. You know, when we think about the, the wide road, the broad gate, you know, it, it gives this picture of it, it looks calmer, it looks easier, it looks more attractive, right? But Christ is here, it's an absolute deception. It's a deception. 
Because regardless of which road we choose to walk down, whether it's the narrow and difficult road of a follower of Christ or the broad road of the world, the fact is storms are coming. You know, when the economy crashes, guess what? It affects Christians and non-Christians, doesn't it? When sickness and disease come, it affects Christians and non-Christians. War affects Christians and non-Christians. When we lose loved ones, guess what? It affects us all, whether people are Christians or not. And the fact of it is, Christians and non-Christians are all going to face death someday. This is the reality of our lives, but there is one huge difference. One house stands and one house crashes. When those things come, who or what we are anchored to will determine whether we stand or whether we crash. Have you ever seen a picture or a video of one of those lighthouses out in the ocean? I mean, huge waves coming in and just crashing. And some of, them, some of those lighthouses have been there for centuries. Still there. Because what they're attached to is stronger than the winds and the waves. See, for the people who place their trust in Christ and his teaching, when these storms come, they will be able to endure them because they're anchored to Christ and his word. I don't, I don't care what storm comes our way. What does Christ and his word not have to offer us that can keep us standing, that can help us to hold firm? Think about any trial, any circumstance, any problem that we face. What does the word of God not have to say about it? What about marriage troubles, family troubles, people troubles, work troubles, church troubles? Does God's word say anything about that? Sure does. What about cultural troubles? Does God's word say anything about that? Oh, sure does. What if you're dealing with fear or worry or anxiety? What does the word of God say about that? It has a lot to say about that. What about when people are facing certain death? Guess what? Guess what? If we're anchored to Christ and his word, does it have something to say about even that? Absolutely. Everything we need, the Bible says, for life and godly living is contained within the pages of this book. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Jesus told us it's going to be hard. But we have a foundation. What does the world offer? When there's family troubles, people troubles, work troubles, marriage troubles, what, what does the world have to offer? Human philosophy? Educated opinions by ungodly people? What good is that going to do? What about people dealing with fear and anxiety and stress? Here, have some pills. That'll help you out. What, what about people that are, that, have, that are lost, people that are broken? Have a drink. Shoot up. Drown your sorrows away. Friends, that's the wisdom of the world. Which do you want to be anchored to? When death comes knocking at our door and it's going to come, are you going to lean on the wisdom of the Word of God that says anchor yourself to Christ who is the salvation of your souls who is the door and the gate to heaven? Or are you going to anchor yourself to the world and just hope that you can get through by the skin of your teeth? We have to choose our anchor point. But Jesus says here, it's not just about hearing, it's about acting upon it. You know, we can know all these things, even as Christians. We can know the answers to 
family issues, work issues, cultural issues. But if we don't do anything with what is in here, if we don't act on it, we have a Jesus who has a relationship, wants a relationship with us. If we don't pursue that relationship and, and talk to him and, and be with him, what good does it do? We have all the help available to us in the world, and, and yet even as Christians, if we're, we can not be anchored to those things, and our life can crumble around us. Listen to what James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Any promise of the word of God that Jesus says in here, you can just bank on it. But friends, you have to choose to listen to it. You have to choose to do what it takes to receive those promises. The promises of what Jesus and his word have to offer are greater than any storm that could come our way. But we have to believe him and choose to respond to him in faith if we want what he offers to affect our lives. See, Jesus gives two promises in this passage of Scripture. He's, he promises that the person that anchors themselves to the world, their lives will crumble and fall. But the person who anchors themselves to him and his word, no matter what comes their way, they're going to stand. What are we going to do with it? Second Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, we may be pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We may be perplexed, but not driven to despair. We may be hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We may get knocked down, but we will never be destroyed. The person who has their lives anchored to Christ and his word, that is a promise of his word that we will never be destroyed. As the psalmist said in Psalm 62, 5 and 6, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. When we anchor ourselves to Christ in this life, no matter what comes our way, we can stand because our foundation is greater than anything that could come up against us. But that's not the only thing that Jesus means here when he's talking about the, the wind and the waves and the floods. You know, to the primary Jewish audience that Jesus spoke to, they would have no doubt seen these rain, the wind, the floods, they picture of God's judgment. Remember the story of Noah? These just Jewish audience would have known the story of Noah. And my guess is their minds would have gone to this picture of the, the floodwaters of judgment that 2 Peter 3 talks about. Now think about what Jesus says here as, real, as it relates to the story of Noah. The rain, the winds, the floods come which are a judgment for sin from God. And the only ones who escaped that judgment were the ones who did what? That walked through the door onto the ark, onto that giant boat. How many, of the entire world, eight people made the choice to walk through the door. This ark of salvation. 
Was it because they didn't know about the door? Well, no. 2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah preached to the people. It says he was a preacher of righteousness, and yet only eight people walked through. The rest of them were drowned from the rain and the floods. When we think about that picture, think about what Christ taught again in, in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 7 here. That not everybody that calls to be Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. On judgment day, many will come to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these things, but I will reply, I never knew you. There is a judgment coming for all people. We will all stand before the throne of God someday. Now, why do you think Jesus calls it judgment day? Because it's the day that all of our lives will be judged. Simple. On that day, we will all stand before Christ. Every second of our lives, every choice we've ever made will be brought up. Every sin, every mistake, every mess up we have ever done will be completely exposed in that moment. And in that moment, our only saving grace will be what we have anchored our lives to. Did we anchor our lives to Christ or not? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And it's, an, it, it's, it's called the second death in a place called hell, which is everlasting. It's an everlasting judgment. And anybody, you, you talk about a wave of judgment, a, a flood of judgment coming our way because of our sin on judgment day. What are you going to be anchored to? If you're not anchored to Christ, everything that you have built in life will come crashing down. Only those who chose to anchor themselves to Christ as Lord and King will stand. Just like the ark of Noah's day, Jesus is our ark of salvation. And the only one that gets to, gets to, gets to, gets to float over top, if you will, the, the judgment of God that's coming because of sin are those who have walked through the door whose name is Christ. Who walked through that narrow gate and made Christ Lord and King and Savior of their lives. Romans 5, 9 tells us that they will be justified, that we who know Christ will be justified by the blood of Christ and we shall be saved from God's wrath. If we're anchored to Him, that's a truth we get. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 says this, God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Jesus for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And it says in verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. If we anchor ourselves to Christ now in this life, when judgment day comes, regardless of all the mistakes, all the failures, all the mess-ups we've made, because we are held tight with him, the judgment will pass over us because Christ already took it on our behalf. That was the whole point of the cross. He went to the cross and he took that flood of judgment for our sin upon himself. He paid it in full and opened up the door to salvation. And all we have to do is anchor ourselves to him. Friends, is following Christ hard? Yes. Will anchoring our lives to him be easy? Not at all, but it'll be worth it in the end. It's going to cost us. It's going to be hard. The floods and the rain, the wind, it's going to come. 
but I assure you, you will stand. You know, as we close out this series, we can be like one of two people. You know, as we think about these last two verses, Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were amazed because of what he taught. And yet there were two decisions made on that day. Many allowed what they heard to go in one ear, right out the next. They walked away unchanged. And yet some, although few, chose to follow Christ. And that's a choice we have today. We can be people who listen and obey, who anchor ourselves to his word, to choose to be his disciple, choose to be his follower, choose that hard road. Or we can choose to go the way of the world. We can choose to follow him and give our lives for his glory and be the lights to this world that we're called to be. The, the city on the hill, the lamp and the lampstand. We can be that. Or we can just blend in and live the here and now. It's our choice. What are we going to do with it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time in your word. God, for this amazing, amazing message that we've been given from Jesus. God, over these last weeks, we have seen so many incredible truths. Father, I know I've been challenged, and I pray that all of us have. But Father, it's what we do with it now is what matters. Will we act? Will we anchor ourselves to your word, to your truth, to you? Or will we choose the way of the world? God, my prayer for every single person here is that they would choose you. First of all, God, if there's anybody in this place that has never walked through that narrow gate, Father, uh, that, that has never asked Jesus to come into their life to be their Lord and their Savior, that they would choose to do that today. God, you've made it so simple for us. All we've got to do is recognize we're sinners and believe that Christ went to a cross, died for our sin, and rose again. It's, it's a simple belief and acting on that belief. Saying, Jesus, I want what you did to count for me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Help me to live for you. God, if anybody's never done that, and if anybody's better made that decision, God, let them not leave this place without making that choice. And Father, for those of us who have, God, let us never forget that it's not enough to just know what your word says. We need to be doers of it. We need to act on it. We need to live it out so that we can be the lights of this world that you've called us to be. And through that, God, be glorified in us and through us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close today, we are going to